0: Word and you need one, one of our ushers will, will bring you one. Today we will be in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. And, and we're going to pick back up in Luke for a little while, and then the, the first Sunday in October, we will look back um, and to our series of the, the worshiping church and we will look at the, the first part of our Sunday service that we're going to be intentional with. So if you haven't been here, for the past three weeks we've been looking at what is the worshiping church. So the first Sunday was, um, of, of September was what is the church, um, no, what is worship, what is then the church was the following week and then last week was singing a joyful noise. We want to be intentional here at Community Church with our Sunday service. We, we want to pray throughout the week that we experience the living God here at the Sunday service. So that way when we come, we gather to encourage one another, to stir one another up, to be sent out to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, reaching the nations with the gospel. But today we're going to be back in, in Luke. And in the passage we are are looking at today, we're we're actually seeing the the setup first. The first part of the sermon will be the setup, and then the, the last part will be Jesus' first teaching. Um, they call this the teaching on the plain, or as Matthew calls it, the Sermon on the Mount. But we need to see a series of events before we get to Jesus' teaching to the disciples. We, we see Jesus starting out the whole entire night, going up to a mountain and praying to his Father. And then immediately following when he, he's finished praying for the night, he, he goes to his disciples and chooses the twelve apostles out of the disciples. And then after that, we, we see Jesus Go down off of the mountain to a level place. And we see this scene of a bunch of people. I mean, a ton of people coming and flocking to Jesus as Luke tells us to to first hear him. But then Jesus is healing people, casting out demons. It's, It's like his authority and power are just oozing out of him at this point. But if I can just remind us, I'd ask us to keep this on the front of our minds when we are going through the Gospel of Luke and that's Jesus is specifically and always teaching his disciples how to be disciples so that way when he leaves and ascends to the Father's right hand, they know what they're supposed to do. And so every opportunity that Jesus gets, he is teaching his disciples. He's bringing them along. And so we can't miss that because Jesus is teaching his disciples something crucial. He's teaching his disciples about what eternal happiness looks like and where it is truly found and who finds it. We will see what theologians call the, the great reversal. Reversal. So, what I would like to do is read our passage, pray, and then dive into it. Starting in verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphas, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false Prophets. Father, we come before you asking that you would reveal your word to us. Would you allow the proclamation of your word to soften our hearts, to live lives as more obedient children? Would you use this passage to encourage us to live godly and holy lives? Would you use this passage to strengthen your children, to encourage them, or if need be, convict and rebuke them and show your kindness, which leads them to repentance? Would you use this passage to soften the hearts of those that are hard Father, would you use this passage to save lost souls? Open up the eyes of our hearts so that we can have knowledge and insight into the Holy One, your Son, Jesus Christ. Protect us from just treating this as good morals to live by and allow our hearts to be deeply affected so that we treasure Jesus more. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. When I was growing up, I remember thinking always that that I just wanted to be a somebody. So I was that crazy kid that always had huge dreams. I just didn't shoot the moon. I shot Jupiter. That's what I wanted. So early on, I would tell my parents and I would tell my friends I was going to be a professional athlete. Most of you know that I, I played basketball quite a bit, but, but at first I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was my true passion, and then it switched from being a professional baseball player to a professional basketball player. And so my, my friends always thought that I was crazy because I was this, this short white kid from the... Uh, pretty close to the UP, a throne sto- stone away from the, the UP. But I always, I always was that dreamer. And looking back, I, I see that most of the reason was, was because I wanted to be somebody important. I wanted it to look like that I had it all all together, right? Because professional athletes, uh, they've got it all together, right? (laughs) But there is this deep desire in me to be known, to be seen as important, wanted. And then we started going to church my my, my dad started taking uh, me and my siblings to church and I started hearing about this great and powerful God and, and I wanted to be seen by Him. And so because I always have this drive to, to, uh, to be somebody, or, or I, I did, I, I still wrestle with that a little bit. You could say that to a fault, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. And so when I'm hearing about this great and big God and how to be obedient to Him and please Him, I thought, well, if I just try really hard, then He will see me, right? If I love really well, if I don't judge others, if I um, don't make fun of my my friends that much, which didn't really always work out, if if I obeyed my, my parents, which I did way better on that one. <laughs> then this God would see me and he would see me as he needs me. Right, in my mind, I was always the first or second person kicked or picked to play basketball or football or kickball or dodgeball. And so if I worked really hard, then maybe this God that was great and powerful would see me and say, I need him on my team. However, as I started to learn, and as we will see today in our passage, oh, God's ways, is they are not our ways. In fact, what we see in Scripture constantly and what we've seen up to this point in Luke is that constantly what God shows us is the way up is down. And what Jesus teaches us, right, if you want to be first... You've got to be last. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to serve. Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve. God's ways are not our ways. But far too often, I wonder if you struggle with this as well, far too often we measure importance by jobs, titles, Influence, power, how many friends we have, how much money is in our bank account, how many things we own. But what Jesus is teaching his disciples and what we will see today is that the way up is down. Eternal happiness is found in one of the most extraordinary ways that to man it does not make sense. And so we come to the first observation that we see. We see this set up in verses 12 through 19. We, we look and we see that Jesus was praying. Luke tells us that Jesus was praying to the Father. Jesus wasn't only praying to the Father, but we see that Jesus was praying to the Father all night. Oh, what sweet bliss it is knowing that Jesus, the Son of God Himself, prayed to the Father. He prayed to the Father all nights because the Father wants to hear His requests. But Jesus is praying with a purpose. Now, in our passage, it doesn't explicitly tell us what Jesus is praying, but we can conclude that one of the things that He was praying for was whom out of the Disciples were to be the 12 apostles because this is a pretty big deal. Now, the apostles were to be the ones who would be the ones to establish and start the church when Jesus left. This is a pretty big decision, is it not? I mean, you would think that you would go to God in prayer if you were thinking of starting a business venture, right? Who God is are the ones that are the the savvy, cultural, relevant ones. Who who are the the powerful ones, God? Who who are the ones that's going to get this off the ground for me when I am God? Now this is an important thing that is happening here. Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. And our earthly minds might say, well... Well, Jesus is asking those very questions. Who are the, the powerful, the, influencer, the, the influencers, the, the one who are the extrovert type A's? You know, the ones in the room that, that when they walk in the room, your eyes immediately go down hoping you don't make eye contact because you know you're about to have a 50-minute conversation. <laughs> who are the ones that can get this off the ground. Well, after Jesus prays to the Father all night, he comes down and he chooses the twelve. And we see right away that Jesus does not choose the, the young, educated, good-looking, attractive, tech-savvy. Or, I mean, they weren't tech-savvy back then because there was no technology, but... Jesus comes down and he chooses a few fishermen, tax collectors, some sinners. Some of the most unlikely people that you could ever imagine. I mean, this is the misfits of the bunch. These are the the outcasts, those that are on the fringe of society. It just doesn't make any earthly sense. But, you would think that, okay, Jesus is doing something here. So, so our passage tells us that Jesus is walking down to a level place. And, and maybe you would think, well, if, if this is the, the ragtag bunch that Jesus is choosing, then obviously he's going to set them up with a great church planting organization. Or some powerful people. But instead what we see. And what we continue to see. Is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to serve. And so as he walks down to a level place. All of the disciples there. And we are told that a a ton of people. Come to hear him teach. And to be healed and to have demons cast it out and And so here are the disciples and now the twelve apostles watching their rabbi care for the very least likely of people. We see that our passage tells us, and this is so amazing, that all who came to him were healed. Which shows us that Jesus does not lack any type of authority at all. And that it doesn't matter what sickness or problem you have, but Jesus has the authority to heal it. He doesn't go to the religious elite. Instead he takes his his time by serving the least likely. Right? This is exactly what Jesus continues to tell us and show us. If the healthy don't need a doctor, Jesus told us. The sick do. Just like how the righteous don't need forgiveness, but sinners. Jesus is setting the stage to show his ultimate glory to the world by choosing. And using the very least likely of people to advance his kingdom. This is how God continues to work time after time. This is nothing new, but yet it is such an extraordinary thing to think about. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a man that I've been reading um, throughout the, the last few weeks. I've been going through one of his books slowly. He's called John Bunyan, uh, Paul Bunyan's younger brother. Just kidding. He's, he's called John Bunyan. Now John Bunyan was a, was a shoe cobbler way back in, in the day. Right? When shoe cobbling was even a thing. But in John Bunyan's town he was known as this rough, tough dude that you didn't mess with. He was a drunkard. He, he said in his, his autobiography that he was the worst cusser of them all. And yet God gripped him his heart. And if you ever have time to read his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, he's, he's talking about walking in a field and feels this pressure of that God, that he just deserves that God should throw down a lightning bolt and strike him dead because he feels like a worm. But yet, this is the man that God would use to write one of the, the most famous allegories that's still in print today, that's, that's actually one of the most bought, besides the Bible, of books. The Pilgrim's Progress. He would use John Bunyan to preach to to crowds in four figures at six in the morning. His sermons would last for about two hours or so. He would be thrown in jail and, and continued to be faithful to the God that he trusted. The God that saved his life. It is nothing new that God uses the least likely. Can I just tell us this morning? We are the least likely. Which means that the God of this universe wants to use you. You. For the expansion of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. But the problem is is that he usually does it in the most least likely ways that we would expect. Which means that he most of the time works through our weaknesses. But far too often if you're anything like me you think well God can't use my weaknesses because they're my weaknesses. So God you need to use my my strengths the things that I'm actually good at which then leads me to not trust that God can use my weaknesses to display his glory Is that not what he does with Abraham and Moses and David and Jeremiah, and Peter, and Paul, and John Bunyan. God wants to use the least likely to reach the least likely. Praise God for that. And so here we're seeing the stage being set for Jesus to come in and teach his disciples. He's saying, I'm going to use you the the least likely. And so let me teach you a little thing. So we come to the next part, verses 20 through 26. This next observation, we see Jesus going from healing and teaching and casting out demons. And now Jesus is specifically taking his attention to the disciples. And we see that Jesus then goes on to say four blessings and four woes. Which, which when we see the word blessed here, we could also translate it into happy. When we see the word woe here, we could translate it into sorrowful. But why is, is Jesus turning his attention from that to specifically teach his disciples now? It's because he's about to teach them that the way up is down. He's teaching them who inherits the kingdom of God. It's not the proud, but the humble. So Jesus, he's teaching and telling his disciples a way to be happy. And the way to be full of sorrow. We are told that the ones who are happy are poor, hungry, weeping and disliked. I don't see anyone else smiling. (laughs) Because this makes absolutely no sense. This makes no earthly sense that the ones who are to be happy are to be poor and hungry and weeping and disliked. It it makes no earthly sense at all. Why? Because because money buys things and things brings me happiness. And when I'm full, I'm not hangry, which is hungry, angry. (laughs) And weeping just sounds depressing and I want to be liked. But Jesus goes on to, to say. Well, the poor will receive the kingdom of God. The hungry will be satisfied. Weeping turns to laughing. And being disliked puts you in the company of the prophets. But Jesus then immediately turns his attention on warning his disciples as well. We are told that the ones who are sorrowful are are rich, they're full, they laugh, and they're liked. And this could leave us confused because this is what brings happiness, is it not? I mean, this is what's supposed to bring happiness. I can buy anything I want. My stomach is always satisfied. I'm constantly happy and laughing, and I'm well liked by all. This is what the great reversal is. Jesus is saying the way up is down. Can't you just imagine what the disciples are thinking right now as all of these people that Jesus just healed in the background, what, what these disciples are thinking? I mean, I could imagine that they're just sitting there thinking, "This dude is completely out of his mind." Are you telling me that those that are happy are poor and, and hungry and weeping and disliked? This can't be true. What do you mean, Jesus? I mean, the religious leaders, they seem to be doing all right. Now, far too often, this passage is solely seen as materialistic. However, Jesus here isn't teaching on materialism. Now it is true that Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than the rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. So it is completely true to say, and and I'm sure that we could all think of examples of of a rich, well-liked, full person who is completely and utterly rebellious towards the thing of God. Sometimes when you're given those things, it's God's judgment. But what Jesus is doing here is he is showing the state of the heart. Jesus is saying this is a spiritual matter, not a material matter. Matthew tells us in in Matthew 5 a little bit more as these are, are, are reflections of each other. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. All four of these blessings deal with the state of a person's spirit and eternal soul. Which means that the woes deal with a person's spirit and eternal soul. So, what Jesus is saying here are you poor in spirit? Are you hopeless and helpless? Are you trying to make it through another day? Do you know you have nothing to offer God? That that you are spiritually bankrupt? Do you know that you're in need of a Savior? Does this lead you to hunger and thirst after righteousness? For the Son of God, the Son of of God made a way to be reconciled back to the Father Himself. See, the Son of God would, would fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So those that hunger and thirst After righteousness could find it through his obedient acts. And that is the free gift of eternal life to all who believe. Which is amazing because you know where that leaves you? It leaves you seen as righteousness. Righteous. In the sight of our holy God. Because one day although the momentary afflictions of this world continue to come on the children of God, one day all of your weeping will turn to laughing and every tear will be wiped away. But Jesus warns his disciples and and tells them, but you will be slandered and mocked and excluded. You will be seen as it's even insane sometimes. But that's on my account. And that puts you in, in a pretty good place along with the prophets before you. And Jesus here is explaining the way to eternal life. But Jesus is also warning. He's warning his disciples those that are rich spiritually are the ones who think they don't need a Savior. The ones who believe that they have it all figured out. If I just live a good moral life and try to do good deeds, that's good enough. If I just try to contribute to this world, leaving it a better place, that's good enough. I just want to be seen as a good, outstanding person that that does good morally. Do you know what Jesus says to that next? That those people are full. Because they get the compliments and the recognition and they fill themselves up with false hope. Which leads their their laughing. Look at that person over there. They're not they're not as good as I am. Right? This is this is exactly what Jesus is teaching on when, when he's giving the parable of the 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 Pharisee and the tax collector praying. Where the Pharisee is, is standing up saying, Thank you, God, for not making me like this guy right here. I I tithe, I do all of these things, and the tax collector is on his knees bowing before the living God, saying, Forgive me. I am unworthy of your forgiveness. Now you tell me who has the poor spirit there, and who is full off of man's praise, who is laughing. Which will lead to weeping. Because in hell, eternal torment looks like weeping and gnashing of teeth, never being satisfied, always being full, wanting approval. This leads you to be well-liked by many because you give them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. This is exactly what the false prophets did. Hell is a real place. And there are real eternal consequences Hell is the absence of God stripping away every single thing that you enjoy now never being able to feel that pleasure again. And Jesus is teaching us that those that are rich in spirit those that think they have it together those that are Religiously minded people, they do not enter into the kingdom of God because they think they can do it without Him. So this is the question that we need to ask this morning: Are you blessed, or are you woe Is your eternal state one of happiness? Or is it one of being sorrowful? Jesus uses the least likely to reach and save the least likely. You know, I can't help but marvel at the mere fact that God saved a sinner like me. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. It's shocking to me that that God would save somebody like me. This proud, arrogant heart, that thought he could catch the attention of God, was so focused on uh, trying to catch the attention of God that he failed to realize that before the foundation of the world, I'd been predestined and adopted as a son. That God's love had been set on me before the formation of the world. And that I can love because he first loved me. That I was completely and utterly dead in my trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy and love, saved me. Do you marvel at the fact that God saved you? You know He can this morning. So, this is what I'd like to conclude with. This is what I would like us to press on towards. I'd like us to press on to fight against becoming religiously minded. I'd like us to press on to fight every single morning, waking up, being in in awe that God has kept me another day. I'd like us to to press on seeing the beautiful gospel and and seeing it as a treasure hidden in a field, willing to give up everything just to have this treasure. I'd like us to, to press on pleading in prayer, asking that God would allow us to treasure His Son Jesus more today than the day before that. Let us press on, church. And let us fight against our sin to become religiously minded people just looking at the gospel and our salvation is boring. Because it is anything but boring that you are alive in Christ this morning. It is anything but boring that you woke up again this morning praising the name of God. So let's press on. Those who are poor in spirit, we shall inherit the kingdom of God those who thirst and hunger after righteousness, you will be satisfied. Those who weep and experience sorrow and momentary affliction right now, your tears will be wiped away. And those who are reviled and mocked and excluded on account of Jesus' name, you'll be in the company of the prophet. Church, let's press on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your rich and kind love. God, my heart is so overwhelmed right now, just wanting us to taste and see your goodness wanting us to truly experience the, the, present, the, the presence that you have promised us. And so, Father, I, I ask and I plead with you that you would allow us to treasure your Son, Jesus, more, that you would use us, such a, a least likely church, to, to reach the Fox Valley in the most unlikely way. Would you, would you use us here? Would you encourage us to trust in what you say? pressing on. Letting all that is behind us be left in the past and pressing on. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice. In that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Brothers and sisters, we now know the God better. And we know who God is a little bit better because of His Word. So let us go from here, loving Him and our neighbors better, serving Him and our communities all the more. Have a great week.